All right. Here's another episode of the Launch School Podcast. Today, we have Jeannie Pinkert, who is a software engineer at Pseudorite, which is a small startup that integrates AI to help serious writers write, right? Did I, did I summarize that okay? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's just all writers. We, are, we have a document editing interface that allows you to write with integrated AI. So, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. A lot of AI-based companies now, and um, glad to see that you are jumping on that wave. I personally think it's a very important wave that's coming up for for the you know all, all everybody tech industry specifically. Um, I don't view it with as much doom and gloom as some people, but um, and it sounds like you're you're on the other side of it, taking advantage of it as well. We'll talk about that for sure, the product and what you're doing there. Um, but first, set the context a little bit. Uh, tell us about your background. Everyone here at Launch School, Career Transitioners, what were you doing before Launch School? Yeah, okay. So I actually studied classics in school, like ancient Greek poetry, oh, wow. uh, which is about as far away from computers and software engineering as as you can get. Um, <laughs> I always used to joke when I was in school, I was like, well, if you're talking about like after the birth of Christ, it's a little modern for me. So it was uh, <laughs> definitely a bit of a switch. <laughs> uh, Everything BC, that, right? Thousands yeah, of years totally. of BC. Yeah. yeah, thousands and thousands of years ago, like, oh, we're going to write it down in stone tablets. That was my world. Um, I studied during the Great Recession. So I actually dropped out of school when I got an opportunity to work for a fashion designer, um, because everybody I knew that was graduating oh, wow. wasn't having an easy time getting a job. So when I got an offer for a job, when, when was, was the like, Great Recession? Just to this was like after to 2008 when Lehman Brothers okay. fell and everything okay. was doing that. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. You know, so ancient Greek, not a lot of job opportunities to begin with. And then everything happened. And it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, I have this opportunity to go work. I'm going to go work. So I worked for a fashion designer in Venice Beach for like eight or 10 years. It was a great time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Learned a lot. What was the nature? Obviously, nothing related to your major. Uh, No, not at all. Completely unrelated to my major. Yeah. But most of what I did was completely unrelated to my major. The only mm. thing I think that's related to my major is my continual fascination with history and Greek mythology. <laughs> it's like a personal thing. Yeah. Right. Right. It, it's funny because I feel like every um, company eventually will produce like internal projects that uses Greek mythology, Greek gods as, as names of like secret projects like Atlas and all this stuff. So it might be useful that way. Um, or like offices. Um, but okay. That's a long time actually. So eight to 10 years in the fashion industry, um, Mm -hmm. working like admin type of work or not designer, right? A little bit of everything. So it was a, she was a independent fashion designer, really small company, boutique firm. There was only like four of us. So I did admin. I did, I was the head of client relations. I was customer facing. I worked with, um, sellers to develop product. I worked a little bit on design as well. Um, actually worked on the website, but this was like way back when Squarespace like very first started. And so we were like, Oh, let's get a Squarespace website. And I like did the Squarespace website. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's kind of like a, kind of like a startup. Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) You got, you got to know how to do everything, right? You can't just be 
to specialize in a small team like that. Definitely wearing many hats for sure. Uh, but I like that kind of work. I like jumping around from thing to thing and not working on the same thing all the time. So it suited me. Interesting. Uh, Eventually, I got to the point there, it was a really small firm, we had a very select clientele. What we did was we mainly did custom formal wear for like awards ceremonies and that kind of thing. I live in Los Angeles. So a lot mm -hmm. of actors, actresses, people in the film industry here, they have a lot of events they have to go to, they get photographed a lot, they want to look a certain way. So that was kind of what we did. Um I got to a point with this company where it was really small. I wasn't really going to advance. We weren't mm -hmm. hyper growth. We weren't really growing. We just kind of did what we did. So I left uh, and I started my own professional organizing company. So another leap um, wow. there. Yeah. And I called it Odyssey Organizing because, you know, ancient Greek. So there you go. Uh, that is, yeah, it, it all comes together. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that is amazing. Actually, I felt like I kind of knew that very, very faintly in your introduction when you first came to Logical. But, um, how long did you do that organizing company for? I worked on that for three or four years until the pandemic hit. Uh, gotcha. So we we did closets, we did garages, we did a lot of move management, uh, but it was very in-person work. So when oh, COVID wow. happened and, I, you know. You know, when you said professional organizing, I felt like my mind went to um, uh, like to-do lists, but you're you. talking about physical. Oh, yeah. Stuff. Physical okay. stuff. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That, that, like, okay, so totally not related to uh, tech and, and uh, so COVID, so COVID must have a major impact, negative impact on your business. Huge, huge, right? Yeah. Because all of a sudden, my job was like, I'm going to go to your house and we're going to interact together in this small, tightly enclosed space filled with stuff where there's very little airflow. Right. Um, and then when COVID hit, it was like, oh, okay, well, all, all my gigs are canceled. I'm pretty surprised by this, actually, because this means that you you didn't really think about tech at all Not until like 2020-ish, like I would into say 2020. Like a, a little bit um, because I did do a lot of work helping people digitize things, you know, like people who are keeping large amounts of paperwork, mm -hmm. we would create digital archiving systems for them, you know, throw it on a hard drive. And that way you don't have to store all the paperwork. And we mm -hmm. also dealt with a lot of, um, I call it the, the computer graveyard cabinet, right? Like this is my laptop from 2008 and I don't know what's on it. So I can't get rid of it. So I have to figure out a way to like get what's on it off it. And then I can get rid of wow. it. Uh, so that kind of thing. Um, but it was very, it, I think it has a lot in common with software development, software engineering in general, because you kind of have to do that same almost PDAC type thing where you walk into a room and you have stuff everywhere and you have to create a system for this person, like a user almost to interact with that stuff. So you're basically creating like analog interfaces, right? Somebody who needs to learn how to 
use their garage as a storage and retrieval system rather than like bring, a place bring to just throw order things. from from chaos. And Correct. I, I had no idea that that is even a job. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of caught off guard by this. Uh, I did not know. I, I thought professional organizing I just I don't know. I just thought of like a like a project manager almost. But you're, so are these There's like individuals that, that just like, hey, my garage is totally messed up and I want to hire somebody to come and they'll pay you some money to help with that? Absolutely. Yeah, for wow. sure. Okay. Okay. So um, 2020-ish, you were like, what do I do? Um, yeah. And, and how, how, how did you decide on software engineering? Well, I was thinking about what I had been good at previously, you know, uh, like we were just talking about that kind of systematizing thing. And this was something that I really did a lot when I was working in fashion too. Like one of the reasons why I did so well at this company was because I could walk into a room where everything was kind of everywhere and develop a system for it. Or if we weren't able to be doing sales in person, I was able to say, okay, let's develop a system for like sell things online. Um, and I was talking to some friends of mine, one of whom is a PM, a product manager. He's been in tech for a long time. Um, and he said, you know, I interact with software engineers every day. And I think this is something that you would be really, really good at. Uh, mm. And I encourage you to look into it. So with all this time on my hands of not working, I was at the time uh, trying to transition, obviously, into being able to work from home a little more. So I had a couple of like virtual organizing seminars that I had put mm. together that people were attending on like, now that I can't come help you, here's how you help yourself kind of thing. Right. Um, so during this time, I also started taking a couple of online classes, beginning classes. I Like we talked about, I didn't really know anything about tech at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did uh, the Harvard CS50 class, um, and I yep. took a number of other introductory classes, like introduction to Python and JavaScript and HTML, and just tried to do that breadth-first, wide right. search of exploring and experimenting. Um, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I thought it was so much fun and it was amazing and it was a lot easier on my back than moving stuff around somebody's garage. <laughs> it hurts your back in different ways by sitting there all day, but yeah. Yeah. You know, at this time I was like, this is great. Like sitting down, you could be, I get to sit down. This is amazing. Uh, wow. So, yeah. Okay. So you, you, uh, based on a friend's recommendation on your own research, um, kind of decided to go down this path tried a bunch of different courses, just found LaunchCool kind of randomly online. Yeah. I had taken a few courses for like Did you ever think about computer months. science degree? Sorry to interrupt Oh, yeah. There. That's how I found LaunchCool, actually, was I was like, okay, I really love this work. It's amazing. I want to do it all the time. Uh, how do I turn this into a serious career transition? Um, you know, how do I make the switch? Obviously, I have to study this rigorously and seriously. I don't. Mm -hmm. I think I took one science class in college and it was like geology 101. So I'm like a little mm -hmm. behind the curve on all this stuff. Right. Um, so I, I did look at going back to school and, and getting a computer science degree. And while I was doing that research of saying, okay, like here are my options, boot camp, computer science degree, just Googling yeah. every option that I could, I found launch school and it really mm -hmm. felt like the perfect mix of flexible, affordable and rigorous that I was looking for. Um, and as a big, big reader, 
who loves reading very long descriptions of things. I loved the homepage. I was like, there are so many documents here for me to peruse and read. So many about. words. <laughs> it was great. It was a good it was a good fit for me. It really felt like this this is a a system and a curriculum that is curated for somebody with my particular learning style. So it kind of felt like a slam dunk. Yeah, it's funny. I should just one day walk, like show people the feedback I get about our homepage and also just about our assignments in the preparatory courses. Um, And they are very uh, binary, right? They're like, why do you have so many texts? This is like not good for learners. And this is not my learning style. Don't understand why you guys do this, right? It's terrible. And the other side is just like, thank goodness for text, right? Like (laughs) this is, this is how I learn. And um, I think it's generally good in that it it forces you to make a decision right in the early stages before paying too much money um and i personally actually think it's really important to develop a habit for reading in the long run anyway so even if you do go through like a a video-based curriculum or something or live lectures at some point you got to read i mean you got to read documentation you got to read books at some point right if not now then later um in, in in the span of a career that's really the secret. Um, okay, so let's talk about you, though. <laughs> Found Launch School, came, tried out the prep courses, signed up, and and uh, you were just like, I, I don't need to go get a degree. Like, well, how did you... You're, I, I just feel like you're so new to the tech industry. Um, you know, a lot of people have been dabbling around for years um, before they, they find us. Um, or they're kind of like working at a working at a startup in product, like your friend, right? So they're tech yeah. aware. It sounds like you just came at this like really cold, almost blind to like tech industry as a whole. Found us, decided to go with Launch School. Um, were you concerned all about at all about like the job prospects? Because at the time, you know, COVID was happening, tech was going down. You know, we just didn't know what was going to happen. Or you just like, whatever. <laughs> you know, my my previous career is not going to happen, so I need to do something else. Yeah, I think I think I had a bit of an advantage in like, okay, if I take this leap and go all in, like I'm not losing anything. I didn't have to quit a job where I was getting like a paycheck and benefits. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm already kind of like Wiley e. Coyote standing on <laughs> the opposite <laughs> side of the cliff. Like there's already right. air underneath me. So like right. I ain't got nothing to lose in this situation. Um, And I'd been in that kind of situation before, you know what I mean? So it's like, I knew that I am the kind of person who has like a certain amount of resilience. um, And I like to think I'm like kind of smart. And if I work really hard, I can figure something out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't want to sound too arrogant. It's just like, you know, you, you put enough effort, you can figure it out. And that's true for most of the problems for most of the people, right? Most of the problems that we give you in launch school and then slowly walk you up to readiness for a job. And for most of the people, I mean, people always think they're, you know, part of the exception, like I'm too old, too not smart not degreed enough, you know, or like, I'm always missing something, right? And and it's just like, unless you know, for a fact, right, it's, it's probably you're probably in that, you know, 90% band, that's, that's, that's doable, it might be a little bit, you know, take a little longer than you think, but you know, you could probably do it. It did take a long time. Like I it did, did take work. a long time. I worked really hard for a long time. It took me, I think, two 
solid years to get through the whole core curriculum. And I was like full time, eight hours a day, most weekends, like working. Yeah. Because I should mention you. I didn't have the background. You eventually TA'd for us, actually. Yeah, it did. That took some time. (laughs) So that was your job, part time job. Um, But it was nice because it was like reinforcing what I was learning, too. So it was like, it was a job, but it was a, it was an educational job. Yeah, for sure. Every every TA comes and tells us, and you probably didn't encounter this in your job hunt, but sometimes in a, in a job interview, they'll ask you to do a code review, and that's when if you've done that as a TA at Launch School, that's just like you get you get that right away. Um, yeah, and people are always like, "Whoa, <laughs> how did you? How are you able to parse apart that code so much?" It's like that's what I did all day. Um, yep. Okay, so let's talk about, um, so going through core two years, nearly full time. Don't want to scare anybody off, but it's doable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, uh, can I can I ask how, how you were able to like live during that time? Was it just off your savings? It was off my savings. Uh, my family mm-hmm. helped too. Uh, my, this is, uh, this is kind of a sad story, but it's, it's a good story nonetheless. My dad was like really into computers his whole life. Uh, he had a great deal of success as an architect. And one of the reasons why is because in the early nineties, when everybody was like, Oh, or I guess not early eighties, sorry, I got my decade wrong in the early eighties when everybody was like, architecture is art and computers won't be doing it. His firm was one of the first firms that said, you know, we're going to really invest in computers and mm-hmm. computers are going to be big in architecture. They were one of the first people to use AutoCAD and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, And so when I had first found Launch School, I came to him and I said, hey, you know, like, crazy world we live in, crazy big pandemic. Uh, I'm thinking about making this career switch. Like, what do you think? What are your two cents? Um, And he was wildly supportive and he thought it was a great idea. And then a couple months after I got started with Launch School, he actually got diagnosed with cancer and Mm. passed away uh, after about a month. So, wow. Yeah, sorry yeah, to hear that. Big, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Big, big surprise, bit jarring. Uh, but one of the nice things that happened was when, well, obviously I'd much rather have my dad than yeah. this, but he did set some money aside, which allowed me to do launch school full time. And then wow. once I got hired as a TA, you know, I could supplement that as well. Um, and it became doable, which was really, really wonderful. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that story, I feel like, um, behind the scenes, there's so many sacrifices that people make. And this is why for me, I'm just, I just feel like there's just such a tremendous, um, obligation requirement here that makes sure that the work we put in front of people is going to get some, get you somewhere, you know, it's not just like a random elective or or something like that, right? Or just an it's arbitrary not geology, hoop. What I want. It's not <laughs> yeah. Or or an arbitrary hoop. Or on the other side of it, it's not rigorous enough, right? Right. That that would also, I think, it, 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 you know, if if uh, if we're trying to get jobs here, which we are, I mean, it, if the, if you're if you're then finishing this program and there's a big gap, I mean, that's also not a good thing. And this is why, also for me, um, you know, again, people push back on the interviews a lot here at Launch School. And I'm like, I just, I wish I could take them off. I, I wish I could take them off. I don't, I don't want to add them here, but it's again, 
it's my obligation to show you that this is what it takes to get that six figure job, right? I'm just yeah. showing you that, that that's it. And if you can practice here and do well here, you're going to be ready for that, you know, that job later. So, um, yeah, thanks for sharing that story that, that just, again, just reminded me just how, how many of these stories there are out there in, in the student body, um, and how many, how much sacrifice everyone makes. Um, so you finished core and then did capstone. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I had been, you know, kind of studying. I had people that I studied with in core, like a few people, but you know, you're basically on your own motivation for two years, right? So going into capstone and having that like synchronous cohort of this is, I'm going to sign on at 8am and everybody's going to be there and looking at me with their little zoom faces. Like it felt so exhilarating to be in that situation. Um, the instructor's you know, you know this, they're phenomenal. I like Nick and Max are great. And Sir Jen is great. I adore them all. Uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really hard work. Um, I'm the kind of person who likes to sleep for like 14 hours a night if I can. And this was not a, like a thing that I could do during Capstone. <laughs> yeah. Not 14. Maybe 10. No. Yeah, like, 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 Capstone had to be like a solid seven or eight. And I'm like, this really, like, I know that science says that's enough for adults, but I'd really <laughs> prefer it to be a little more. <laughs> um, but it was I feel wonderful. like when, once I acknowledged that I needed like at least eight hours of sleep, my life just improved a lot better. And so totally. I think it's okay to just like acknowledge that and, and then drive, drive towards it. Okay. So, um, how many hours a week did you spend on, on Capstone? I probably worked 10 to 12 hours a day, Monday through Friday. And then that's a lot completely zonked out on Saturday and Sunday. So 50 to 60 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Would you say like every phase of capstone was like that for you or certain phases? Some phases were more intense than other phases. The first couple of months were really, really intense. It was just like mm-hmm. a fire hose. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think that's normal. I also uh, did not feel like I had enough time to do all the prep stuff. But mm-hmm. I have this sneaking suspicion that you guys do that on purpose to make sure that we don't like mastery-based learning ourselves to death on all that prep yeah, stuff. There's, there's <laughs> never enough time. You know, that's, right. that's just a common theme in Capstone. And I, I think we spend a lot of time just calming everybody down, right? That's yeah. not an excuse to not do work either. I think sometimes people take it to the extreme, which is like, you know, they say we don't have to know this. <laughs> like, yeah, but try. Right? Do your best. Try your best, right? And that's good enough. I also want to say, like, as a caveat, I am a total perfectionist. So the fact that I am working this hard, like there were times when probably I didn't need to be working that hard, but Mm -hmm. I like, I'm the kind of person who's going to be disappointed in myself if I don't get a hundred percent on every single test. And I'm not telling you that that is sane. That's not sane. And it's not a sustainable way to live your life, but it is like what my animal brain wants to do anyway. (laughs) Yeah. You have to let that go. Eventually. It's like, um, I mean, not just in capstone, but also just in work. You ha- I think in general, it's a good attri- attribute to have. So I don't want to say it's not good, but um, ultimately you have to ship your work, right? Yeah. 
um, you have to make sure, like where you see the impact of your work is actually when you ship it. Um, and then you can iterate, right? But you want to put your best foot forward, of course. But um, but yeah, so let me just say 56 hours is kind of a lot. Um, when we design Capstone, we're targeting 45-ish. Um, so if you push up to 50, I think that's okay. But if you're pushing between 50 and 60, I think that's like more than what we want um, for our participants. Um, but nonetheless, you, you got through it. It's tough. Um, talk about the job hunt. Did you have any like expectations for the job hunt? Because I guess coming into tech, you didn't really have any expectations, which is good. I think, I think sometimes people come in with a lot of expectations and it's either, you know, pleasantly surprised, obviously we're all okay with, but sometimes there's a negative surprise because you have all these expectations, but you come in and just sort of like, didn't, didn't really, (laughs) it sounds like not, not even wasn't on radar like three years ago. Um, Nope. So as far as the job hunt goes, you know, you and you're a recent grad. You did your capstone um, cohort this year, 2023. Yeah. You hit I the job the, market May. When did you hit your job market? Late April, early May. Late, yeah. late April. Yeah. And um, it was a tough time this year. This year is, you know, probably the toughest year um, out of all the time we've been doing, you know, capstone. Um, how, how, how did you feel? I felt okay. I mean... I had days where I think I let my insecurities get to me and I was like, oh God, what am I going to do if I can't find a job? But for the most part, I was like, I'm going to find a job. Um, I'm not really that worried about not finding a job. And I think you're right. I think the fact that I didn't really have expectations, like I didn't have a vision of what my life was going to be beyond the fact that I would be sitting in a chair. This is really the only (laughs) thing I wanted. (laughs) What what about the 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 salaries we have from from Capstone results from previous years? Did did you look at that and be like, oh, you know, it's coming down a little bit, or or duration is going a little bit longer? Didn't bother you too much. Didn't bother me. The lowest salary that I have seen out of Capstone is so much more than I was thinking. <laughs> Didn't that's, matter. See, that's why I I love people coming from your background and the musicians too. Oh, when we have musicians yeah. in the job market, they're just always like, yeah, I mean, what's it's like auditioning. I mean, you just got to go to as many as possible. You get rejected left and right. That's how it goes. And you get paid nothing. At least yeah. here, you know, we're getting paid a lot. So, um, Well, one thing that really gave me hope was the fact that like every day I would log on to wh- how you're finding the jobs, right? Like Auda and LinkedIn and all these places. And every day I would log on and there would be like a hundred new job postings every single day. Mm-hmm. So it was like, okay, even if I just keep getting rejection after rejection after rejection, there are new opportunities, hundreds of them, more than I can apply to in sitting in my chair for hours every day. Yeah. Like, And that's the worst job that's market worst. and everybody's talking yeah. about how bad it is. Like, yeah. this is insane. Like, this is so good, guys. <laughs> my wife's an academic and it's the same thing. No, it's, it's, it's like, crazy. Yeah. Do you know how many job postings they have for like professor of Homeric Greek? Yeah, professor like, academia it's like is crazy. One every ten years, <laughs> and and, and uh, there's there's like hundreds of applicants for that role. And guess what? They all have PhDs, right? They so, all have like five PhDs. Yeah, they all have, yeah, yeah. And and so it's 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 there other yeah we're we're um yeah this is this is bad for us. <laughs> This is That's bad great. For us. I'll take it. I'll take bad. <laughs> bad for tech is like fine. Great. Awesome. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great attitude. Uh great attitude. So okay, so talk about the job hunt. 
um, what was that like for you? How many companies did you, um, or I don't know if you remember how many companies you went on, you know, interview oh, with and all. Why did you, why did you end up uh, at PseudoWrite? Um, I wound up at PseudoWrite because I love the people. I really, I thought they were a really great crew, a really great team. When I first read the job posting, it was, it was, it was kind of funny. It was almost like first reading the launch school website where I was like, Oh, like this is perfect for me. And I had that same mm. kind of feeling where I was like, Oh, these are my people. Like they're making funny, wow. silly jokes that I like. And they, uh, it, it's, it's all about writers and reading and novels, our product, right? So they made a lot of jokes about like, Oh, if you love reading, um, this is a great job for you. And I was like, I love reading. I love, like, it's the best. <laughs> um, so, and I actually, I So you emailed, could tell from the job posting, even before, yeah. even before talking to anybody, you're like, the job posting itself was kind of unique. Yes. Okay. It was. That's great. And, it was and unique. So, sorry, and, let me cut you off. So you applied, you applied or you emailed in? Uh, it was a hacker news posting. So I emailed gotcha. them and then they emailed me back. Which was very exciting because, of course, yeah. when you're applying for jobs, a lot of times you don't get emailed back. So <laughs> let me ask you this question. So your email in, mm-hmm. did you say all these things? Yes. I wrote, I think I think the first line of my email was like, hi, my name is Ginny and I'm really excited to apply for this job and it sounds really cool. So I'm going to try not to geek out too hard, but like no promises. That's um, great. And then I like wrote and a whole thing. And you geeked out. <laughs> yeah, I totally geeked out. I failed at not geeking that, out. <laughs> that, that's great. I think, see, people are like, oh, should we do cover letters, right? And it's like, my advice is like, you should, however, make sure it's custom, right? And not yeah. um, custom in like the chat GPT way, right? <laughs> like, like, make sure it's actually you and them and there's a match. Otherwise, if you have a cover letter and it's just like you're mushing common generic sentences around, I, that just doesn't hit home, you know. People can see see through it. Um, so they must have also like just the way you detected these were your people from the job posting. They must have also detected a similar thing by reading your email. Yeah, I think so. And subsequently through talking to them, mm-hmm. right? It was a long, long interview process. I think I had and, like seven interviews, and it was one opening, right? It wasn't like um, five openings, and so they they selected you. I mean, and and. Did you ever find out how many people apply for this job? No, I don't. I don't know. I didn't okay. ask. I didn't yeah. want to be like. I gotta think that it's person. a lot. <laughs> I gotta think it's a I lot. First of all, so. and and here's the thing: like you're coming out of Capstone, you didn't, you weren't even looking into programming three years ago. Um, you're you you likely went up against people with more than three years of experience applying for this job. Why do they select you? What like? How did, how did you know they were your people and how do they know that about you? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I do think that they had a lot of reservations about my level of experience. Um, Mm -hmm. specifically they brought it up a number of times, you know, um, I had to do an entire interview with the CTO about like what you do in a production system if your users start reporting a bug. And like, this is not something that I had any experience with. So I kind of just like floundered and tried to get through the interview. And I felt really bad afterwards. And after that interview, I was like, I'm going out, I'm getting a drink. Like, I don't want to think about it. But like, I sent an email. 
Yeah, I was like, I don't know. Like he was like, do you roll it back? And I was like, sure. Yeah. How many? How many people? How many? How many people are experiencing this bug? And he was like, fifteen percent. I was like, I'm not rolling it back for fifteen percent. That's not high enough. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> That's hilarious. And and I have no just idea. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, but like, I don't know. I just. I really felt like I just clicked with the people and they were like, we wound up having a lot of conversations around things that weren't necessarily technical. Like mm-hmm. I asked them a lot of questions about themselves because I knew that they were readers. Um, one of the really cool things about this company, if you're a huge sci-fi nerd like me, is the fact that the two founders both write science fiction and they've both been oh, published wow. in like Asimov's, the short story magazine. And like one of our That's founders amazing. knows Ken Liu, who's like amazing. Love and Ken Liu. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so like, I'm, I should go somebody, work there. <laughs> yeah, you should. It's a great company. <laughs> That's but it's amazing. Like, uh, as somebody who like my life is defined by reading science fiction novels. So being in this world and being able to have these conversations, I think it just went a really long way to getting them excited about me because of how excited I was for the work and how excited I was for the problem domain and the kind of like enthusiasm that I could bring to the job, even if I don't have the experience, right? Like I have the excitement to go read all kinds of dry documentation to figure it out. Technical interviews? Like did did they know that you were um like the the good programmer and all that stuff or I think so. I had I hope so. Uh, they gave me a take home project, which I completed. Oh they did, okay. Um which was like pretty large in scope and pretty challenging. Um, and then I had an interview where I went over that project and then I had a technical interview that was kind of like a mini systems design interview. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also had like, I think it was like more like a product manager's interview. I had an interview where we had to discuss like the pros and cons of, uh, a, a product online, which was kind of a whole thing. So nice. Yeah, so yeah. that's actually a lot of interviews. Okay, so they so they knew you had you know you were you were sufficiently technical enough to like do the work, but um, again, from I'm just thinking about it from their perspective, probably in that pile of resumes, you were like clearly the 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 unique one in that great personal fit, no experience, yeah. right? No experience. What do yeah. you do? I yeah. think their major concern was the fact that like it is a tiny company. I am the I am the fourth engineer, so there are three other engineers wow. and me. Uh-huh. Um, so I think they were a little worried about somebody with my experience level, like needing a lot of supervision, right? And like right. needing a lot of mentorship. They were like, "We really need you to be like self directed yeah. and figuring out like." not even just figuring out how to do the thing you need to do. But a lot of times you have to figure out what the thing to do next is on your own, right. um, which is hard to do without a lot of experience. Um, yeah. Well, you, you did have your own business. I think that that helps a lot because yeah, nobody tells you does. what to do when you have your own business, right? You got to go figure out what, what no. to do next. Exactly. And that's kind of one of the things I was talking about with them. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why, they ultimately decided to hire me is, I mean, you guys just heard my whole background. It's, um, I, I have spent most of my professional life wearing many hats, trying to figure mm-hmm. out what the next thing to do is like, that's one skill 
I am confident I have, whether it's computers or closets or <laughs> the, a sewing room or whatever, like I can walk into a situation and understand, okay, here's how we fix this problem. So they end up saying yes to you. Yes, um, they did. Now, initially, it was like an internship or trial period or something like that, right? They, they, they were still like, they were like, they everything's were good, fence. but yeah. Let's, yeah. let's kick the tires here first. Um, they were like, we're going to have like a talking phase before we go exclusive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember um, I did the reference call and I could just tell, uh, I could just tell they loved you. Like I could just tell talking to the co-founder. He was sold, but you know, the call wasn't like, I want to make sure, you know, in anything about Genie. I think the call was actually a pretty sincere call about how to make sure you're successful. And I really appreciate that because afterwards, I remember feeling they really like her and they're actually looking for ways to set her up for success. And I, and I just thought I just made me feel really good, frankly, um, because I do a lot of reference calls and it doesn't always go like that. Right. I can just tell sometimes they're trying to look for dirt. <laughs> right. They're trying to they're trying to uh, pry something behind the scenes. In this particular case, I didn't, I didn't get a sense of that at all. Um, and uh, we frankly had some really frank conversations, you know, because um, one of the major things I talked about was like whenever you give somebody a trial period uh, for employers, you, you have to 100 percent make sure that it's not an assessment. Right. Mm-hmm. Just like at launch school. If you have questions, you should ask. It's safe. Nobody will judge you. Ask your questions. Get clarity. During an assessment, if you ask a question, we're going to judge you, right? We're going to yeah. write that down. You, you can't ask questions on an assessment in terms of like technical questions that help, right? Mm. So if you have a trial period, it can't be an assessment. It, it's got to be this person's a full-on, you know, team member. Uh, don't judge them for asking questions, right? Because if you're if you're an, if you're like a team and you and somebody's a full-time team member and they have a question you want to get them unstuck ASAP so that they can carry a load so that they can do work, right? And not ask that question again, not get stuck again. But if you're assessing them, right? All of a sudden you're writing that down, right? You're saying, oh, this person doesn't know this. So um, that's one of the major things I, I, I mentioned. And, um, um, but yeah, talk about the, the, the trial period here. Um, it was supposed to go on for like, Two or three months, right? And it's paid. It's it, it pays well, actually. It paid. They they they, yeah. they gave a really good, you know, even for trial period, it was really 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 high paying. Um, how did that go? It went great. Um, they the the deal was we were going to do a three month contract to hire, so it wouldn't be you know full time W two employee. It was going to be ten ninety nine for three months. Um, I was pretty okay with that. I was a little nervous about it just because like. To be honest with you, one of the reasons why I did launch school in Capstone was to like get out of the 1099 race that I had been in for so long. Um, but, uh, I think it went really, really well. They, I could tell that the conversation that you had had with them had really sunk in about the, you need to make them feel, you know, you need to make the trial period person feel like they're a part of the team. Um, James, our CTO, the co-founder was, absolutely wonderful. He was totally open to questions. He made himself really available with his knowledge and his time. Um, he met with me every morning for my first like two or three weeks to just make oh, sure wow. that I could. Yeah, no, he was great. That's Everyone w- was really, really, really nice. Um, 
And I, they actually, I think about after the third week, uh, on the very third day, they gave me a project and I did it. It was like, like a little mini project and I did the mini project and then I sent my PR to James for review and he was like, great. Okay. Here, make these changes. And I made the changes and then he was like, cool, merge this into production. And I was like, wait, you want me to merge this code into production like now? And he was like, yeah, that's like why you're here. Like, I want you to do this. <laughs> and that's I was awesome. like, okay. Um, so after three days, my code was live in production, which was insane me and then um yeah and then this product has users it's not like a in stealth mode there's actual usage Mm -mm. yeah my first my first project they did this really smart the first project was like in the admin portal so it was like just for internal facing stuff to like get me used to the code base and then my bigger project was user facing um we do this thing on the document editor where once once it has 50 words it will ai automatically generate a title for you for your document yeah um and that was me that was my feature that i did which was very exciting and fun that's pretty Um, important that's a key feature sounds like yeah yeah and this was my third week so after i did that they were like okay it's a good fit. We really like you. And I was like, thanks. I really like you too. <laughs> and, uh, they, they hired me on full time and they totally, uh, surprised me in like a one on one meeting. I had wow. like come with all my questions, all my technical questions. And then the other co founder was in the meeting and they were like, we want you to take the job. And I was like, Oh, I was That's not awesome. ready for this, but like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I was That's so awesome. excited. So three months trial period shortened to three weeks. And, um, yeah, so I was going to ask how, how you feel at work in terms of, are you able to hang, are you able to contribute? But it sounds like, uh, you're, you're doing very well. Um, are you allowed to share with us the tech stack just because the, you know, from the outset, it sounds, it sounds kind of intimidating, right? Like AI, Mm -hmm. um, word document, uh, I mean, it, it sounds, it sounds far away from like what we're working on in the core curriculum. What, um. What is, what is your tech stack as much as you can share? Yeah, um, it's actually not that far away as you might think. Uh, we have a Node.js Express backend and a React frontend. So it is most all stuff that I touched in Capstone. Um, most of our infra is like um, it DevOps is managed. So we have like a managed Kubernetes cluster. Uh, we don't mm-hmm. really have to worry too much about that. It's all automatic. Um, there is, uh, we use Redis for caching. Uh, we have another server that is running WebSockets, which is how the document syncs with Mm -hmm. our database and how we get the AI integrated into the document. It works like another collaborator, even if it's AI coming from our servers. Um, I think that's pretty much it. I could get into some of the, I'm still kind of learning about this. It turns out that having a document editor in a web application is actually like really hard and complex. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's a fascinating problem and I'm really liking diving into it. We use Prosmere and TipTap for our document editing. Um, and we use some little hacks to get around some browser laws, which I'm finding out more and more other big document editing companies use those hacks too, like Notion. I was like, spying yeah. on notion the other day and being like what do you do how do you do this thing uh, stuff like that 
that's, that's what I love about programmers. They love talking about it. And so you can, yeah. you can look at the browser, you can look at the web app, but also the, if you go on YouTube, there's probably very likely somebody's given a tech talk somewhere on how totally. they do things. <laughs> totally. People, programmers just love to share. It's one of the, one of the tactics. Here's, here's a little behind the scenes. One of the tactics and capstone teams are when you're stuck and you're trying to figure things out, literally go in and ask, uh, other developers, uh, working developers, uh, how, how that. they do things. You did that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. We emailed a bunch of people, uh, and we were like, hey, you guys use WebSockets. How are you load testing? And we got a bunch of responses back, which really surprised me. People love to geek out. People, That's what I love about this field, that people love the work. They love their work, um, and they love to share their work. That's why they're always all like on Twitter. It, there's a lot of doom and gloom because of all this oversharing. But ultimately, mm-hmm. it's people People love what they do. You know, People yeah. care. And, and so um, because they care, they want to share it. Uh, it's what I love about tech. Um, even though now it's very, it's very lucrative and, you know, uh, people make a lot of money, but still there's a, there's a sense of like democratizing tech, you know, giving it out for free, you know, sharing knowledge and all that stuff. So it's not about hoarding knowledge. Um, let's talk about the, the product a little bit, just to back up a little bit. So it's, so, um, I want to give a demo here, but for the podcast, we can't really, can you describe the product in words uh, just for the podcast? Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. So we basically have this document editing interface. You can't see my hands. I talk with my hands. <laughs> we have this document editing interface, and it works just like a Google Doc would, right? Like you type into it, you write whatever you want, but then there's all these other things that you can do. So you can like Let's say I'm writing a story about uh, a monkey in a palm tree and I'm like, okay, the monkey goes up the palm tree and picks a coconut. I can highlight my sentence and then there's all these buttons I can click. Like we have a describe button and you can click the describe button and then we will stream in AI generated descriptions for the highlighted text. So if I have like a palm tree and it actually, it's based on the senses. So like the five senses, sight, smell, hearing, taste, touch, all those things. Uh, so you can stream in AI-generated descriptions like the palm tree is green and swaying in the wind and it sounds like the ocean is crashing on the beach next to the palm tree, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the opportunity to select from those descriptions and then input them directly into your document wherever you want. And that's only one of uh, the many AI functions. So we have like a generate a first draft, which will you give it an idea and it'll generate a draft of that. Um, you can like select large pieces of text and configure them to wh- how you want them, add more description, add more dialogue. Um, that's amazing. a brainstorming feature. And this is you fictional, right? It, it's not for it, yeah. like nonfiction it's, work. It's just- Currently, it's geared towards fiction, but we are working on making it a little more generalized. Mm. Um, so we have a number of things that we've been working on behind the scenes for maybe extrapolating to nonfiction. Uh, just the workflow is very different there. Uh, mm-hmm. Nonfiction tends to involve a lot of research. So one thing we've been looking into is giving you a way to like chat with your research by doing a vector search of all of these things that you upload and then like starting a chat with that. Um, but that's not something that we have developed for users yet. And we're just kind so, of playing with So it. how is this um, different or better than working with like ChatGPT directly? Like if I were to go to ChatGPT and I'm like, I have these 50 words or these couple sentences, can you, 
keep on extrapolating from here on out? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I think the main thing is it works in a writing interface, like a document interface, like with ChatGPT, you just have the chat and you have to kind of mm-hmm. like copy and paste and go back and forth to whatever document you're using to write. Um, and then the other thing is we, uh, we add a little prompt engineering magic sauce to what we're doing to, to mm. make it a little more geared towards, you know, your writing rather than like a useful chat assistant. Um, I did have a question about the, the prompt engineering, uh, just for the sake of listeners, like what, can you explain what prompt engineering is? Oh yeah, sure. So, um, it's actually really interesting. So one of the kind of cool things about programming is typically when you run a function, you have like a deterministic outcome, right? Like two plus two is always going to equal four. Uh, but as soon as you bring an AI into the equation, you can no longer rely on a deterministic outcome. You can get all kinds of crazy output from it. So prompt engineering is using certain prompting techniques in order to kind of steer it to getting the kind of output that you want. Uh, so for example, one thing that we use a lot is a recency bias, where the AI will prefer things or be more likely to output things near the end of its prompt. Um, so for example, if we are doing a describe kind of thing, uh, we give it I just remembered. Uh, we give it, depending on which AI function you're using within PseudoWrite, we give it certain story Bible um, values so we can make it aware of all the characters in your story or like where you are in your story and some just contextual information in a way that you can't necessarily do with ChatGPT. But we want to put it in the right order so that the things that are at the end, that recency bias, are more likely to come out of the output. So that's kind of the prompt engineering stuff that we do. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because it's like, um, you know, the, these models that like ChatGPT, what we call it, we call these like foundational models, right? Which are mm-hmm. um, like Anthropic has clawed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these are the ones that are kind of like the brains or the engine. And then you have all these services that can wrap around it, like, like PseudoWrite. Um, it's really interesting. It's it's kind of like when, um, like, why wouldn't you just po- use Postgres directly? It's like, well, yeah. you know, it's 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 a it's a generic database. It's not for, you know, this whatever fantasy sports website you're building, whatever it is you're using it for, or like logical.com, right? Um, so you wouldn't want to interface with Postgres directly if you're if you want to pr- provide a better interface for your clientele, for your users, for that specific use case. Um, Similar thing happening here, perhaps, in terms of foundational models um, becoming kind of a core engine, like a, like a new infrastructure piece, right? We have regional databases. We have like NoSQL databases as popular, and we have all these other uh, foundational infrastructure pieces. But now, perhaps, you know, large language models as a foundational piece, um, yeah. and, and we just kind of talk to it, get data out. And then within our application, use that data however we want, and, right? In the Hisuda, right? So it's a it's a text editor uh, interface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the other thing that we kind of offer is like a way to integrate with all these different models in one spot. Like if I were a writer and I wanted to be doing AI assisted writing and I wanted to use ChatGPT or I wanted to use Claude, we actually interface with both of those depending mm-hmm. on which function you're using, and or we oh, allow you to does. choose. 
Yeah, we do. Okay. And um, and we also allow you to like choose between which one you want for a certain function. Like Claude is better at some things and GPT mm. is better at some other things. Yeah. So you can kind of go back and forth between them all within this same document interface. So it really gives you like a layer of abstraction over having to think about that kind of like all the, the pieces of the AI call. Yeah, and all the things focus you on writing. Do. Exactly. Super interesting. Who is the idealized user for PseudoWrite? Um, or who are the current users? Because it, it's a product out there. People are using it. Uh, what type of people? Are, it, it's not It's not like businesses, right? It's, uh, it's end users. Yeah, it's mostly individuals. Uh, I would say the vast majority of our users right now are people who... Some people who write, some people who write professionally, a lot of entrepreneurs who write, um, you know, to generate content for their brand. Um, oh. a lot. Well, of I people, thought it was fictional content though. It can't, it, it's geared towards that, but it doesn't have to be right. Okay. Um, gotcha. and then I, I think we get a lot of people who are writing like fan fiction and stuff on the internet, that, that kind of thing too. Um, I, I think the majority, I, I think a lot, a big part of our user base are people who have maybe retired and now they're like, I want to write and have fun and write a book now that yeah. my last career is over. Yeah. 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 Fan fiction is a huge thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have a, I have a relative that's really, really, really into fan fiction, like reading fan fiction <laughs> and she's always showing me stuff and it, it's a huge community. Um, mm-hmm. and if, and if, this can accelerate generating fan fiction. I feel like there's like instant, instant base there of fans. Um, all right, let's switch over to the work experience a little bit. Um, how has that been? I mean, that's super small, um, super tight group. Uh, and obviously sounds like one of the major things in con- under consideration when you were being um, interviewed was, was the fit, right? And obviously yeah. you have to do the work, but um, cultural fit. Um, how's that been now that you've been there for a little bit? And how long have you been here, like in total now? And 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 what's it been like? Let's see, I started in the middle of July and it's October now. So three, three and a half months. Sound about right? Months. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, it's been great. I love it. I love it so much. Like I love, I still love the people. I love the work. Um, it's great. I would say it's very, it's pretty flexible as to what we're doing every day. Again, it's one of those situations where you wear many hats. I'm really all over the place in the code. There's nowhere that I spend more time anywhere else. Recently, uh, I've been working on a lot of the kind of front end stuff. Um, That's just because we've been completing a project that was ostensibly a UX redesign uh, and it involves some data migration, but we're just finishing it up and looking to roll it out um, to our like select group of beta testers probably this week, which is very exciting and fun, but it means I've been doing a lot of like finishing touches, reacty CSSE type stuff. Um, but so also everything. Just the other you're ready day. for everything. Coming, yeah, out, of, totally, coming out of core yeah. and capstone, you're like infrastructure stuff. Yeah, stuff, just the other day stuff. I had to deal with a customer service ticket that was like figure out if the WebSocket server is breaking for some reason. So, you know, it's really like, it's who knows what's, what, what's it going to be like? <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. And I think that's that's actually perfect for uh, for a capstone grad just because you're you're able to get plugged into you're ready sort of to, to do all that. Did you mm-hmm. I, I'm just kind of wondering, did you take the CSS assessment uh, in core? 
I did not take the assessment, but I did go through did almost go through all of the course. Yeah. Okay. I, I right. got to the very end of the course and I was like, I'm tired and this is <laughs> yeah. not required. That's fair enough. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I did, um, I did up through like the last couple of assignments and I'm okay. so glad I did because I do a lot of HTML and CSS in my job, but I know that at, not everybody does that at the moment. Right. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. Yeah, that's why it's there. That's why there's a course yeah. there. That's why we used to have a rigorous assessment there. Um, and if you do it, it's still, it's still, you know, it's still be challenging. Um, but I'm sure. because it's optional, uh, most people don't do it. Um, but I do notice a lot of people skip the course entirely because it's not. And I'm like, nah, that's probably, you want to at least take your time through it. But good. Glad that you're taking advantage of it, um, of that knowledge. Um, you told me about a hackathon you all did. Now yeah. you're a remote team. Right. And you're you're in Los Angeles, your team's all over the place. Mm -hmm. But there was a there was a quote unquote hackathon, which was also like a team get together. What, what was that? Yeah, we did. Uh, we went to Portland. We did an on site where we all got together in an Airbnb and lived together for a week in Portland, which is something you can do when you have like six people in your company. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, we started out uh on the first day and we were like all right here's the state of the company here's where we are right now and like here's where we want to be so how are we going to get from a to b and and what do we want to do next and we spent about probably a full day and a half just getting together the whole company you say the whole team but it's really not the team it's really everybody um and talking about what it is we wanted to bring to the product like what feature set we wanted to develop next based on what the users are saying and what we think is happening next in the ai ecosystem um so it was really just a very long and intense P of the PDAC session with a lot of people. <laughs> um, yeah. And it was fascinating. And I felt I can't talk too much about what we did because we're still keeping right. it under wraps. But um, I felt really, really happy that I was able to contribute to the conversation. I found that my role was like almost being this like Socratic questioner of being like, hey, wait, like I don't have a lot of history with the company and I don't really understand what's going on. So explain yeah. yourself, uh, which wound up being useful for the rest of the group too. Oh, yeah. Um, and for it was sure. great. And then once we kind of solidified what the plan was and what we were going to do, the engineers sat down, all of us sat down around a kitchen table and we kind of allotted tasks and we started coding. Um, which felt really, really good. And then after about an hour of coding, we all realized we didn't know at all what we were doing and we had to go back to the drawing board and really define our terms. So we spent a long time going back and defining our terms and then we got started again, which felt much better and we progressed much more quickly. Um, but for about three days, we all just worked together, passing laptops around, you know, um, oh, hey, we were all working on the same branch, like we didn't have different branches. So it was just like all these merge conflicts kept happening. But because somebody was right here next to me, I'd be like, hey, like, can you just tell me like what I need to keep and like what needs to go? Just um, hit delete here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. It was That's awesome. It was That's great. either... That's one of those experiences where it's either um, either you'll 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 come out of it like I need to get a new job, or you'll be like refreshed, reinvigorated, and it sounds like the latter happened, right? No, um, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I remember uh, I had this uh, 
this this entrepreneurial friend and he was talking about his remote team. He said it got together. And he goes, every single year they have one together one get together. And he says every single year after they get together, he fires somebody. Not because he wants to, but because he finds out he doesn't like them in person. I was oh, like, no. what? That's crazy. That's a crazy uh effect there. You know, it's like the opposite. And he said, well, you know, you you find out who you don't like in person and otherwise they're they're fine remote. Um but it just kind of reminds me of uh when you get together and you get like that intense of an environment. I mean you're we don't even count working hours when it's when it's that type of environment, right? It's just like camp <laughs> where yeah. where you're you're doing it. And so again, either you're gonna love it and enjoy it or you're gonna come out kind of annoyed, right? Um which is why once again, um I think I this is a common thing and theme in, in the podcast episodes, which is the technical knowledge is super, super important, but there's actually other things more important. As long as you meet the minimum baseline. And you're a willing learner. And if you finish core and capstone, you're, you're, you know, that, that part is probably checked, right? But is there something else here that, that will allow you to, um, really thrive in the work environment? Um, and what is that everything? What is that? What is that thing? It's going to vary on every team, but it's usually people centric, right? Something human centric there. Um, that, that, that you need to bridge the gap there. We're getting to the end of my questions here, and I know we're already at the hour mark. We're past the hour mark. So uh, give us an idea of the day-to-day. Uh, mm. What time do you wake up after the 14-hour slumber? <laughs> yeah. uh, what do you do in the morning? And then what do you do in the afternoon? And what's your day-to-day like? Yeah, um, I wake up I don't know, between like 7.30 and 8.00, um, and I make tea and get dressed and I sit on the couch and I have this little spot of sunshine that I get in the morning on my couch. And I sit in that spot of sunshine, like a cat. Um, and then I do the New York times crossword puzzle as much as I can, uh, which on Mondays <laughs> is a lot. And then after that is not a lot, but I like the mini. <laughs> okay. And then I start working nine. Um, and, we don't really do like a stand up thing unless we're working on uh, a big project where we have multiple people. So mm-hmm. for example, this project that I've been working on that we're thinking about trying to roll out this week, we do a stand up um, with me and the other engineer who's been working on it and our designer, just so he can look at all of our CSS and make comments about my color choices, but it's okay. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that happens at like 1030 um, we have all of our tasks in like a linear thing, just a software that keeps your tasks. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I'll get assigned things or sometimes I'll just go pick tasks out from a bucket that need getting done. Um, and then I basically just check things off that list as much as I can until lunch. And then I make myself a little lunch and then I go back to work and I keep checking things off that list and I keep coding. It's really, it's not that interesting. I just sit in code <laughs> pretty much all day. <laughs> that was my next question is how, how often uh, do you code? How many hours a day do you, are you coding? Almost all day. Almost, Almost all, day. all day. Okay. And, and I, I, you know, we use the word coding loosely in that like coding is not necessarily typing, right? A lot of it is the, right. is the PDAC work and figuring out mm-hmm. what to code. Um, most of the okay, and you know what's interesting? Uh, this is just anecdotal. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm ready to go public with this information yet, but anecdotally, I think people at larger companies code less. <laughs> they spend more time 
in Slack, communicating email, like usually their days filled with like meetings and, and just communication, documentation, revealing, uh, reviewing pull requests and things like that. The folks I've spoken to at smaller companies tend to have higher uh, coding hours per day. Um, yeah. So just a little FYI. All right. Um, I think just speaking to uh, the listeners in the podcast, which is like mostly core students, um, how do you think if they're right now, you know, studying for the assessment, memorizing some esoteric technical detail, mm-hmm. uh, what advice do you have for them? Because you were there not too long ago, you know, earlier this year, frankly. <laughs> um, yeah. And what, what advice do you have for them? Uh, as they're as they're going through it, and if they want to eventually kind of, you know, work in work in AI, right? Work in work work it as a software engineer. I think my biggest piece of advice would just be to like open yourself up to everything. Um, in core specifically, try. I mean, I know it's tough, right? Try not to feel the rush of time. Really embrace the thing that the course is trying to teach you, and give yourself a lot of time and practice with that thing. I think especially this was important for me because I didn't have any experience with any of this stuff. So really taking my time and learning as much as I could during that core phase was, was hugely key. Um, Finding a routine that works for you, like what makes you feel good when you get up in the morning and you're studying these kinds of things is really important. What, what kind of studying works for you, I take an obscene amount of notes and like collate them into an obscene amount of organized notes. That's what works for me. (laughs) Um, I think another really big key thing is just to get involved with the community, right? Like make friends, study with people, get on Slack. Uh, I hear you guys are now officially supporting the gather study rooms. This is very exciting. Um, I think gather is great. Just find a way to get FaceTime with other people who are doing what you're doing um, because the farther you go in your track as a software engineer, the less sense you will make to normal people at cocktail parties. So it's really important <laughs> that you find people to talk to. <laughs> that, that advice did not end how I expected it, but you know, I think it's valid. I think it's valid. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with that. And yeah, hop on gather, you know, I'm trying to hang out there more. Just uh, I think your advice about, like another thing you said I didn't expect was like I start 730 I sit in the sun and do crossword puzzles I thought you're gonna say like answer yep. emails or something but nope. you gotta find joy in the process this doesn't have to be so like fear driven anxiety driven and it is because it's confusing and it's weird and but it doesn't it just if you can find happiness and joy in these moments you'll like it more and if you like it more you'll actually increase your chances of success you know and so yeah. um all right this, that's We'll end it with one last question, which is, I've been asking everybody this, just like, what do you appreciate most about your current team, the company you're at, and your current situation? A tough question, because I just, I just, I'm so happy at my job. Um, I think the coolest thing about my team is how generous everyone is with their time and knowledge. You know, we don't have a lot of engineers. The people who are working at my company, I, they, we all, we all have a million things on our to-do list. And every single time I ask a question, then they say, yeah, sure. I'll totally, let's hop on a call. I'll explain this thing to you. I'm happy to walk you through it. And I think that's just an incredibly valuable thing. Um, and I also think the company itself 
It really values personal growth and professional growth in a way that is really wonderful. I really appreciate that. Um, I think the problem domain is really cool. I'm really enjoying getting to know all of these different writing processes and seeing the way that AI can contribute and the way you know, even software engineering can contribute. Um, it's really just, it's all great. Like not a lot of complaints, really. And and I'll just add one more life hack here because you said people are generous. And I think mm -hmm. everybody wants to work at a place where people are generous. And here's a life hack for everybody. If you want to work at a place where everyone's generous, guess what? You, you have to be a generous person yourself. And then all of a sudden, when people meet you, they'll say, you're of my tribe. You're, you're somebody who fits right in here, right? Yeah. And so I think that's the, the number, number one thing to cultivate is actually generosity, positivity. Um, and because it's too hard to not be that and expect everyone else to be. It's almost impossible to get into that type of situation if you don't exude that yourself. So, like, I would say for me personally, I'm not necessarily, those are not attributes I necessarily, um, you know, baked into me, my personality. Uh, you know, I work on it. Work on it every day. It's a process, right? So, uh, within law school, too, it's a safe place to work on these things. And eventually, when you go get a job and you're interviewing, people can detect that about you. Right. And they recognize you as a generous, positive person. So, okay, we'll end it here. Thanks so much for stopping by, Jeannie, and uh, great conversation. Thanks, Chris. It's been awesome.